Okay, well, hi, everybody. I want to welcome you to another episode of EI on the Fly. It's our podcast about all things early intervention. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of communicating openly and honestly as an early intervention team member. So this is a pretty big topic, right? Anytime you talk about communication, but we're going to hone in on what are some strategies to help you think about how to communicate with your team members so you feel like you can have that open and honest back and forth about challenges, about things that are going well, and and be able to support each other in your work with families. So I'm Dana Childress. I work in Virginia as one of our early intervention professional development consultants on our training team here. And I'm going to ask Emily to introduce herself. Yeah, I'm Emily Webb. I am the coordinator of general supervision here in the state of Massachusetts. Thanks, Emily. So we are really happy to have Dr. Johanna Higgins joining us to um, talk about communication. And I'm actually going to turn it over to Johanna to introduce herself and then we'll dive in. Hi, Dana. Thanks for having me. I am um, an assistant professor of practice at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where I coordinate the Early Childhood Special Education um, Program. It is an online graduate training program, and my degrees and experience are in early intervention specifically. Um, My most recent experience has been Um, prior to coming to Nebraska, was working in Hawaii, uh, where I was an early intervention program manager, and I coordinated a team of professionals working together. And so being open and honest was a really critical component of what we did on a daily basis. And that's why I'm really excited to be part of this topic today. Well, thanks. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, that you bring up an interesting perspective on the open and honest communication being a supervisor and having to figure out how to make sure you can have that kind of communication with your staff, but they also feel like they can do that among each other too. So we're happy to have you here talking with us today. I'm going to turn it over to Emily, who's going to give us a little more information about the topic and get our discussion going. Thanks, Dana. So like all of our teaming and collaboration episodes, we are talking about behaviors that are outlined in the DEC recommended practices. And ultimately, open and honest communication is really, really going to enhance enhance function and individual relationships among members of the different teams that we are part of. When teams are effectively communicating, they're able to share information, they have an easier time sharing ideas, you'll find that there is a greater level of respect amongst each other's individual learning styles. Um, This is this is kind of the the oil that makes, um, you know, the machine of the team really run well oiled. And parents need open and honest communication about their children, about their development, about their strengths, their areas of need, and how to best support the team. You know, being a parent that received early intervention for a number of years, this this is really important. I can't be a full member of the team if there isn't that open and honest communication amongst me and the service providers that are providing my children. It's just not possible. Team members really do need to um, communicate honestly about day-to-day operations, changes, working with families, and so many other topics. Open and honest communication 
as we all know, can be difficult. It can be really hard to be open and honest, um, but it's really important. And with practice and some resources that we're going to share throughout this episode today, I think people will find that they can practice it. And the more that we practice open and honest communication, the less difficult it's going to be. So all of the topics that are discussed in this podcast series are going to make achieving the goal of open and honest communication easier. So Johanna, tell us what you think about open and honest communication and why it can be such a challenge for people. Sure, Emily. Um, You know, honestly, this is such an important topic because it it really can be very challenging to have open and honest communication. I would say that the time and energy that is required in order to achieve um, communication that's really effective uh, is, is difficult for early intervention providers because Oftentimes, the structures that we have in place in our states um, don't allow us to have that additional uh, time outside of our visits with families because we're driving from place to place um, and we're also working a lot to serve, in many states, a lot of different families. So just generally first, that time and energy that it takes. Additionally, people really, I think, have challenges with um, just being comfortable with communicating openly and honestly. It is really difficult um, and oftentimes it's easier just to not even, um, you know, communicate at all. And, uh, you know, sometimes people have trouble uh, communicating about specific subjects. So while they're okay with, um, you know, some general communication with families or colleagues, they may not have an expertise in a certain area or know how to communicate about specific topics like, for example, challenging behaviors or feeding. Um, And if our intervention styles differ when we're working with different professionals, um, it can be challenging to agree on specific interventions. um, And so that then requires open and honest communication. Yeah, you're, you're so you're so right. The other thing I was thinking about when you were saying that is just the way that we are raised has a big impact on, you know, our ability, our comfort level, and the amount of effort that we're willing to put into, you know, open and honest communication. I am one of three girls. um, And my siblings and I all have kind of different ways that we we will communicate. You know, my younger sister is very open and honest, and she will tell you exactly how she thought thinks and feels right in the moment. Where me, I am kind of like, you know, I I don't remember if it was you or Dana who like it's just easier not to have the conversation. Like communication, let's just forget it. Um, and it's important to you know for us to remember as we're being part of teams that some people weren't allowed to be open and honest with their parents. Um, sometimes people have you know prior sibling relationships that have made open and honest communication difficult. And so these are just important things when we're working as part of a team to remember that some of this is is deeper than just your. Per- professionalism and it goes back to you know your upbringing and what was allowed or not allowed when you were um you were a kid yeah emily that makes me think of a couple of things i think that's such a good point that what people bring to the visits or bring to the teams matters too and that made me think about kind of back to what johanna was saying too um 
If you come to the team with less experience than other team members, that can make communicating hard too because you sometimes feel like you don't know as much as somebody else, so a little afraid to speak up. I also was thinking about um, some of the hot button issues in early intervention that are hard to talk about. And one that comes up to me um, is certain diagnoses. So if a family asks you, do you think he has autism or do you think he has cerebral palsy? That can sort of feel like the elephant in the room that it's hard to communicate openly and honestly about because we're not sure as an early interventionist, we don't diagnose, but we want to support the family. So I think there are some tricky things that we want to be open and honest about, especially with families, that we just have to find a, the right way to do it, to be honest, but also be professional and, and share what our limits, like you said, Johanna, what the limits are of our expertise. And even in sharing that, that, you know, this is what I think, or this is what I'm seeing, but I'm not the person who diagnoses, or I think there's ways to, to be open on us about your limitations and about your comfort level that can, that can be really productive for the team and for families too. But sometimes that can make you feel a little uncomfortable when I remember being a new early interventionist thinking, oh, I should know that. I should know that. I should be able to speak up here. And sometimes I didn't. I wasn't comfortable with my own ability to communicate that. So so I think it, you know, we have to give ourselves a little leeway to figure that out, especially when we're new too. Yeah, Dana, I would also just add from that that parent perspective of like having that same grace for parents. It's really hard to communicate with somebody like that you view as a professional, like in your own living room. And it cannot be, it's not always easy to, to bring things up or ask questions. Sometimes you feel like, am I going to be judged? Cause is this a stupid question? Or should I know this about my own child? Or can I tell this person that what they said or the behavior that they're doing is, is bothering me? Like when they're a guest in my home, it can, it can be awkward. And so I think we have to remember kind of like both sides that there's, there's, um, a comfort level and, you know, a process for families feeling like they can communicate openly and honestly as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Communication is two ways, right? A two way street. So when it's challenging, I think it's really important, especially if it's challenging with parents, challenging with other team members for us to reflect on what we're bringing to the situation, you know, because it's so easy to go, well, that family's really hard to communicate with, or I don't have, I can't, I'm having a hard time building a relationship with this other provider, but we got to think about what we bring and what they bring and, and figure out how to meet in the middle. Um, so why don't we talk about some strategies then? Because I think we're kind of edge easing our way there. Um, we're going to talk about some strategies for having those open and honest communications when, with, that you can use with colleagues, but also as Emily brought in, how to be open and honest when we're communicating with families. And maybe as we're moving through this, we can be thinking about how to help families um, also feel comfortable being open and honest there too. So one of the strategies that we can start with is thinking about your purpose for communication and making sure everybody understands that clear purpose for communication before before you initiate that communication before talking. So I'm going to ask Johanna, what are your thoughts about how do you develop and communicate that clear purpose? Um, and so I think the first thing is just identifying, um, you know, what your purpose is, but then also think about what is best and how to have that conversation um, with the person that you're talking to. And so you wanna think then about the relationship that you have with that specific person and 
how you've communicated with them in the past. Um, and so, for example, you may have never had direct um, conversations with another individual to talk about things collaboratively. So you may need to think a little bit about how you both um agree upon a specific purpose for that meeting. Additionally, you want to make sure that you seek to understand. So your goal really should be to have a purpose, but then to know that you're going to go into a conversation and perhaps learn a little bit about that other person's perspective. Also, you want to make sure that you um, identify your learning, but also your communication style, because that's going to help you with identifying um, what your purpose is and how you go into a specific conversation. Yeah, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about what I used to do when I had to meet a new family when I was practicing early intervention. And I, because I'm a writer, I would have to write it out. Sometimes I would write out, this is my purpose. Like these are kind of my goals for the communication. But I think, so that would really help me get myself organized to kind of write it out, jot notes about it ahead of time. But I had to be careful to still go into the conversation kind of with, like I knew my purpose, but a little bit open about the direction we would go because otherwise I could go in and push my own agenda. So it was like being prepared, getting clear, but being open, knowing, you know, you don't can't always predict where things are going to go. I totally did that as well in terms of writing everything down. And actually, I'm that person that like, before I make a phone call, I write down sort of a script of what I'm going to say. Uh, because sometimes I will sort of get anxious, and then I'll go off on another area um, that I'm not specifically focused on. So that's always really helpful. I also found that it was really helpful just to practice having, you know, kind of going into that conversation. Um, and I would even, you know, for example, like now I'll have my husband practice to be being that person and then having the conversation um, and have him give me a little bit of feedback as well. <laughs> so I just thought I'd share that. Um, Those are great ideas. Yeah, I can think of practicing by myself, shutting the door, <laughs> saying it out loud so I could have a feel for the words. And I think there's nothing wrong with that kind of stuff. Even when you've been doing early intervention a long time, when something new comes up, get your ducks in a row before you go in there. So I'll share about a, a family that I worked with. This was a mother of a young child that had hearing loss. Um, a, the mother also had hearing loss. And at first, it was really difficult to communicate with her um, because she she couldn't read, but then she also couldn't hear very well. And so the, the, both of those things together were a little bit challenging. So I, I had scheduled to go to the home. Um, and I when I arrived at the home, it took me to get there about 45 minutes. So I, I, you know, it was a pretty long drive. Um, she wasn't home. And so th this initially was, you know, something that I've experienced in the past. Um, it's also always challenging when you have to drive a little bit further. Um, but then, so I gave her a call. I was still unable to reach her on the phone. I ended up you know, leaving um, and and trying to reach her again. And finally, at one point, I was able to have a conversation with her on the phone and I scheduled another visit. Um, I drove out there again and I knew that I needed to have a conversation with her about, you know, the fact that when I was coming out here, I really wanted to be able to support her and her child, but that she needed to, to be at the home, which, you know, is something that does occur. 
She went on and kind of responded to me by saying that she had had really um, a really difficult time when she was a child and that the special education services that were provided to her um, were very minimal, but also that she had been treated really poorly by providers um, and in, in school, but then also anyone that ever came to her home. And because of this, she was really skeptical of the services and she knew that her child needed some support and she knew that she couldn't, um, you know, that she needed some additional strategies to use with her child. But, um, you know, she, she was, we had this sort of challenge in that she had had these previous experiences that I had to then, you know, work through and, and talk to her about. And what ended up happening was, you know, the fact that she had that open, honest conversation with me allowed me to talk to her about the relationship that I hoped that we could build to support her child um, and to give her a better picture of what it would look like when we would, um, you know, try some different strategies together and uh, have her use those throughout, throughout the day. Um, and so this wouldn't, have happened, I think, if I hadn't been open and honest with her. It's possible that I might have just not um, talked to her, you know, if, if I if I wasn't open and wanting to be honest and I might have just driven out there a couple more times or tried to have the service coordinator reach out to her, which I could have done. Um, but I knew that, you know, just having that conversation was going to be a positive thing. Yeah, and that's having to have that conversation with no-shows or with something that's maybe not going the way you want it to with early intervention can be hard because you don't know what to expect. But I think finding a way to be honest and being open to what the family's going to say too, because you gained a lot of good information that you didn't know before that could probably change the way you looked at her and looked at that building that relationship with her. So I think um, finding a way to kind of dedicate that time to go in, your purpose was to find out what was going on and to see if you could improve the relationship. You got information that would help you do that. So I think that's a nice example. Um, I'm going to throw this to Emily and say, if, Emily, if you have any thoughts about that or any thoughts about even tools or materials early interventionists can use to help them think about having these kind of conversations. I mean, I would just second all of the things that, that you guys have been talking about. I think these are strategies, but they can also be tools, you know, especially if you tailor them to your learning style and your needs. I was kind of laughing, Dana, when you were talking about like writing it down, because I was like, yeah, no, I would, I would never. <laughs> and it was not surprising at all to me that that is a strategy that works for you, knowing, knowing you and <laughs> been working with you on this podcast. I'm like, of course, of course you would do that. I'm, and you can I imagine. And my list was long <laughs> and I probably used about four sticky notes and here I'll tell you guys before I had a lot of sticky notes and I was brand new in early intervention I would have it on my hand my palm would have my notes so you know thank goodness we have other ways to do to keep our notes now right because like ink on my hands is probably not an awesome way to do it but yeah that's funny Emily yeah writing it out is my style for sure I would love to know, Emily, so you're not the writer down ahead of time person. So how would you prepare for those kind of conversations? How does that work for you? You know, I probably think about it a lot in my head and I have to really, I spend a lot of time anticipating like what, what my response will be depending on like what their response is. Like I have to just do a lot of like 
anticipating because if I just like wrote it all down, if you like if you went rogue and said something I wasn't prepared for, I'd be like, oh my God, that's not on my sheet. Like, what do I say now? <laughs> like, I have to like, I have to really think about like, okay, so if they say this, then I'm going to say this. If they say this, I'm going to say this. If they say this, I'm going to say, like, I have to really anticipate, like, I'm a big like, okay, but what if, but what yeah. if, but what if I have to prepare for all the possible things that might come out of your mouth. Otherwise, it's like, I'd, I'd be like Anchorman. I'd be like, well, this is the next thing on my teleprompter. So this is what I'm <laughs> going to say. And like, it wouldn't even make any sense. So it's just, it's just funny. Um, yeah. But I, I think one thing that can be helpful is ECTA on their website. They have a really nice communication checklist that I think is a tool that people could use to help them think about what aspects of these um, strategies that we're going through might work for them and how can they look at communication and make sure that they, like you said, kind of have all their ducks in a row. So I would definitely recommend people checking out the communication checklist. The other thing is, um, as people know, we are we have created this podcast series around teaming and collaboration in partnership with um, the early childhood, early intervention community of practice. And the, the, a small work group of that has created the, you know, online universal curriculum. And I would definitely recommend people check out the teaming tidbits. I think that that's another tool that people can have. Uh, the teaming tidbits go through challenges, both f- with professionals and then also with parents. And that's just another, it's another tool I think people could have to help them prepare for some of these, um, conversations where they're going to really want to be intentional about communicating openly and honestly. I think sometimes these tools can also help you be prepared for the hard conversations or just the conversations coming up, but they can also help us reflect on what we're doing in our own communication, how we're approaching families and how we're bringing in what's important to families and important to our other team members into the conversations. Because, you know, adult learners really, we, we hone in on what's relevant and important to us. So we want to do that when we're communicating with other people too. We know what's important to us, but we have to consider what's important to them too. When we do that with families, when we bring in information about what's important to them, it helps them connect the dots throughout the EI process. So we can reflect when we're developing our clear purpose and we're preparing to communicate, how does what I'm talking about relate to the family's priorities? Maybe when was that last IFSP meeting and what was talked about there? How does that relate to what we're getting ready to communicate? What do I know about the family, like Johanna's story, and what do I need to know? Um, and is the family aware of this expectation? Maybe that if your program has a no-show policy, kind of going along with Johanna's um, story there, or is, is there a policy for how many times cancellations happen? Because that can be a hard co- conversation. We want to make sure that the family has the information to know what the expectations are, and then we can communicate around that so that that relationship is built on kind of a mutual understanding of of what's supposed to happen, how we'd like to work together. Um, So Emily, I know you had a story about kind of taking the communication back to supervision and how you've used some of these tools and this thinking with your staff. Yeah, I did. The other thing I wanted to share before I tell you um, my story that I think can be helpful when communicating, I've been... um, 
I've been enrolled in this like art of management course here in Massachusetts. And although I think it, we've been learning it in terms of listening, I think it can actually really help when you're preparing to communicate openly and honestly with somebody, letting the person that you're talking to know how you like, like how you want them to listen to this information. Like I'm just sharing information with you or I'm looking for a response or I, I like, what do you need from me as a listener to this information that's going to come out of your mouth? I think that that can be really helpful for the person, especially I think about from that parent perspective, like sometimes EI providers will talk and it's hard to know like, so do you want a response for me? Or was that just like information you were sharing? So I think that that's just another tool that can be sometimes helpful that can help build that relationship around communicating is let the person know, I'm telling you this to vent, or I'm telling you this because it's impacting me, or I'm telling you because I want us to be able to come up with some strategies together after I share this. Um, I just think it can be helpful for the person listening to be prepared for what's going to come next after, you know, you share whatever it is you need to share. Yeah, that's a great idea. I've used that one with my husband once or twice where I'm like, <laughs> I just need to vent. And he's, you know, he's a fixer. So he's like, well, you could do this. Or have you tried this? I'm like, that's not what I need. I just need to tell you. And when you establish that expectation, like I was talking about, everybody kind of gets on the same page and the communication goes easier. It's less likely that somebody's going to leave frustrated, right? So I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Um. So... I supervise here in Massachusetts, I supervise, you know, a team of five. And I recently took the strategies that are in this podcast and also on the Universal Curriculum Teaming Tidbits. And I kind of laid them out. You know, I took what was laid out in the information and just used it to generate some really rich discussion. And I was I was actually really surprised at um, how well it was received by my staff and how it really helped us think about how as a team do we want to be um, collaborating and communicating and what norms do we have established and what norms do we not have established. One of the things that we talked about is um, that when we want, like, that you have to do these things to expect these things, you know, open and honest com- communication. It's, it's a two way you have to give and you have to take. Um, and you can't be expecting that people are going to be open and honest with you and, you know, give you feedback and, you know, all of the things that we're talking about, if you don't ever give that and that the information, you know, that we're sharing today, talking about that really just helped the team kind of have some ahas of like, wow, I get really irritated when so-and-so doesn't communicate openly and honestly with me. But if I reflect back, I don't give that to her either. And so how, how can I expect something that I'm not giving? Yeah, I think you hit on the reflection piece right there. And it's so much easier to recognize what we do or don't like about how other people are communicating, but we don't always take the time to pause and go, okay, wait a minute, how am I approaching this? Um, or, or what could I do differently? So I think that's a, that's a great story because I think that could apply to your supervision, like you said, Emily, with your staff, but we could think even spread that out a little bit, like even communi- open and honest communication with our families and other team members. 
that's that back and forth again too. So let me ask you, Johanna, what other, we've kind of talked about some strategies for good, for positive kind of smooth communications when communicating open and honestly, what other ideas do you have about how to make these kind of conversations go well? Well, I think um, just sort of building off of what Emily just said about uh, working with a team, I think the one of the things I've been doing with my students recently is I've been looking at how I embed the teaming tidbits, but then also have them reflect. Most of them are currently early intervention providers or are um, preschool teachers uh, serving children that have delays or disabilities. And so they have an opportunity to take courses, but then also they're essentially being trained to do their job. And so it's really fun for me to hear about their experiences. Um, and the one thing that, that I've been embedding is having them think about their teaming and collaboration with the teams that they work work with on a daily basis. And just first um, doing a little assessment and thinking about, are we teaming? Are we actually collaborating? And then what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And some teams will say, well, yeah, we meet every, we meet, um, you know, once a week on Fridays and every Friday we have our teaming and collaboration meeting. But then when they actually reflect on it, they realize they're they're not actually teaming and collaborating. They're just sort of reporting out different things, and and really the the teaming and collaborating is sort of pushed pushed to the last few minutes, and then usually they don't end up doing it. And that was my experience that I found um, at being a program manager as well. We had so many technical aspects to deal with, you know, due dates for different evaluations or IFSPs or, you know, different things that, you know, being open and honest was sort of the last thing (laughs) that we focused on. And I knew it needed to be more of a priority. So I think what I've been been trying to impress first on on the students is just start thinking about it. You know, Emily is sounds like an amazing supervisor and is really able to embed those types of trainings. But for some people, they they don't have supervisors or their supervisors aren't focused on the time that it takes to be open and honest. Um, so I think first just recognizing what is currently happening and then you can build on that. Um, you know, once you identify that you even set aside time every week to team and collaborate, you are going to start to have more and more conversations with your team members. Um, And through there, you're then able to identify, I think it would be really interesting even to set up something where you have a rubric and you just say, were we a one today or were we a three? And one is like, "Eh, we didn't really communicate very well. And then three is like, we were totally open and honest and we had a good conversation. But we don't think necessarily about doing those kinds of things um, with our own team. So definitely encouraging that to happen. Um, You know, things that are going to make the conversation go smoothly is really just, uh, I I think, that preparation that occurs, but then also practice and, and practicing over time, having different conversations about different things. Um, so those are some of my thoughts, Dana. Yeah, I think those are great ideas. The practice is really important. And I think sometimes the practice can happen from conversations about your experiences, too. It's almost like maybe, maybe not role play, but what I'm thinking of, Johanna, is like dedicated time during staff meetings or even just peer to peer support where somebody says, 
I had this conversation. This is how it went. This is what went well. This is where I struggled. And then the others on the team can support that person. Cause you know, you kind of learn something like, oh, I really like it how she talked about that. Or I, you know, this, have, this is another way you can approach that. So sometimes we can learn from each, each other by a supervisor or someone else making it a priority to build those skills just through some of these um, supporting each other. And like you said, maybe some of that dedicated time for teaming. I think it happens through dedication, but it also happens informally too, you know, and I think there's a lot to learn if you're open and aware to like, oh, this is a skill I want to build. So I'm going to be paying attention to what others do. Another idea that came to me is joining each other's visits and seeing how others do things. Um, That can be a teaming activity. You're just on a team and you're doing a joint visit together to support each other. But it can also be nice just to join other teams meetings and see how those work as well. So Emily, did you have, yeah, did you have another idea? Yeah, I just want to encourage people to check out there is teamingagreements.com. And there's a lot of resources on that website. But one of the things that they have is an effective teaming wheel. And it has like eight components of teaming. And then it allows you to kind of like rate, you know, and there's things open and honest communication, clear direction, defined roles, lots of different things. And so people could do this individually and you know rate the the team and then come back and talk about it you could do it as a team um, I just think that that website is a really good resource for people who are looking to strengthen um, their teaming and the other thing I would say is that you may not necessarily include a parent in in some of these discussions because that it's just depending on your relationship but I just want to remind people that are working in EI that if you strengthen the communication and the way you team with your internal early intervention team it will naturally carry over to the teaming that you do when you're on an IFSP team or an assessment team um, or even a transition team and working with parents and other community collaborators. Yeah, I think Emily, I was just thinking, you know, one of the one of the challenging things that happens sometimes is when providers go to a home and then end up disagreeing in front of the caregiver. And so the more that we cannot do that, I think, and the more that we can identify how to have those conversations and and prepare for them, I think the better that families are, the more that families are going to want to collaborate with us because they'll see us providing those examples right in front of them of how we team and collaborate. Great point. Great point. Yeah, that's a tricky situation when, and there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be time when professional opinion differs. So that's even something to talk about ahead of time. How are we going to handle that? And I think that's where the service coordinator can really come in as a guide through that process. So the team can land somewhere that everybody, there's consensus, and then there can be ongoing discussion to sort some of that out. So thanks for bringing that in there, Johanna. Well, I'm going to start wrapping us up. Um, I think we've had a really good, rich discussion today about some strategies, some great resources, some pretty common challenges when we think about communication and early intervention. I think the more you build open and honest communication, the more respect you show for your other team members, family team members, and other other types of professional team members. Um, it's really important to have an effective team. 
And it's really important when we think about all the different teaming activities we do, like when we have our IFSP teams, when we're on evaluation or assessment teams, when we're part of a team that provides that ongoing service service delivery. So we want to think about ways that we can communicate and work together to all have that common purpose, achieve the desired outcomes, and really have a fun team and a team that we are happy to be a part of. So we're going to wrap up with a quote from Brett Davern today. It says, just open and honest communication is the best thing in the world. And I think we could all agree that, you know, sometimes it takes some time to develop, but when you land there, those are the teams that you want to be on. So we hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. I want to thank Johanna for being a part of our podcast episode episode. And we would um, hope you'll join us next time for our next episode on the importance of um, helping one another learn and grow. So thanks, Emily and Johanna. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Bye-bye.